Some of you will remember that a conflict arose in this church several decades ago when it was suggested that the congregation no longer limit membership to those who have been baptized by immersion. Uh-huh, yeah, I see, I see one, at least one nod and smile. Oh, yeah, I remember. People of this congregation took a bold stand to say that, yes, and you can see it on the back of our bulletin now every week, yes, if you have been baptized by another mode, then you are still welcome to become members at Calvary Baptist Church. And some people couldn't handle that. It was too much of a change. They felt too strongly that the fact that, that Jesus, because Jesus was baptized by immersion, then that's the only form that should be acceptable here in this church. So, so they left. And that's okay. Well, many other Baptist churches continue to require immersion when one joins that church. One Baptist minister tells of how he can still see the, flaw, the, the shock on a woman's face when he explained to her that his tradition required immersion, that's full dunking, for baptism. <clears throat> she had been baptized as an infant in another church, but now she wanted to join this church. And she said, isn't there some other way? She said, dunking is so, so inelegant. I thought, well, yeah. Rodney Wilmoth tells that story in a sermon. And his thoughts that, that follow it, I thought, were appropriate for us, too. I'll be incorporating his and mine. Having seen baptism all my life, I grew up Baptist. I had never thought about baptism as being inelegant. But it is a notion worthy of consideration. Baptism by immersion is humbling. And I've not met anyone who has come into the upper rooms up there who is not feeling very nervous. And it's a nervousness not... I don't know how much of it is because, you know, this is the day that I'm really professing that I'm following God or if it's a nervousness because all those people are out there watching. One um, retired Baptist minister referred to the baptistry as the humility tank. He argued that it was a pretty good preparation for life in the kingdom of God because God's kingdom is a countercultural movement. It demands that we live in a way, in a manner that is at cross-currents with most everyone else. Whatever, what they believe, what they think, what they hold dear. And that is humbling. Well, strange and inelegant as it is, baptism by immersion helps us see the symbolism of death and resurrection. John Westerhoff III describes a baptism in a small Latin community, in a Latin American community, that celebrates this theological view. He describes it this way. He said, the congregation begins the mournful sounds of a funeral hymn as the solemn procession moves down the aisle. The father, it's a child's baptism, the father carries a child's coffin he made from wood 
the mother carries a bucket of water from the family well, and the priest carries the sleeping child wrapped only in a native blanket. As they reach the the front of the church, the father places the coffin on the altar. The mother pours the water from her bucket into the coffin. And the priest covers the wakening baby's skin with embalming oil. The priest then lowers the baby into the coffin and immerses the child's head in the water. And he says, as he does so, I kill you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the congregation and parents shout, Amen. And then quickly, the priest lifts the child into the air for all to see. And as he does so, he declares, and I resurrect you that you might love and serve the Lord. And immediately the congregation breaks into a joyous Easter hymn. Now that's symbolism right there. Much more so. It really gets at the heart of the reason for baptism. As we've said, it it marked the the baptism of Jesus, marked the beginning of his public ministry, and it marks the beginning of ours, whether we were baptized as babies or whether we actually made that decision to be baptized later on. It marks a step, it's a major step in our becoming disciples of Jesus. And there's nothing elegant about discipleship because discipleship always begins with repentance and repentance is a kind of death. C.S. Lewis reminds us that repentance is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing a part of yourself and undergoing a kind of death. Well, today we celebrate the baptism of our Lord, Jesus. And, you know, we know so little about his early 30 years, but we know a lot about after his public ministry began, those three years. And so it really was a mark for him to begin to begin serving God in a new way, a death of his old way of life, and a new way um, to come. Now, some people will argue that Jesus was without sin, and so why then did he need to be baptized? Uh, this baptism of repentance that John was proclaiming. But sinless or not, Jesus chose to immerse himself in the inelegance of life. Life is not elegant. It has its moments. But overall, life is not elegant. There's something inelegant about war, racism, and sexism. There's something inelegant about child abuse and spouse abuse. There's something inelegant about hunger and just injustice. The baptism of Jesus is linked to his being completely obedient to God's will. 
And what gives us hope and encouragement when we observe the baptism of Jesus is that he was willing to enter these murky waters of the Jordan River as God's servant, one who serves with love and grace. And when he came out, he was willing to help establish God's rule in the world and in a way help our world to become more elegant. When Jesus emerged from the river, a voice from heaven was heard to affirm, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. It's a reminder that the baptism of Jesus signals that God is in the midst of all of life's inelegance. I've been doing some research on um, what to see and do in London as I prepare for my sabbatical. And most of you have probably heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's one of the major preachers of the 18th and 19th century, especially in London. And he founded a pastor's college in 1857. And as they were preparing for that, he was going to be preaching to what became his largest crowd ever, over 23,000 people. And I keep thinking, you know, that was the days before microphones. But he noted, a day or two before preaching at the Crystal Palace in London, I went to decide where the platform should be fixed. And in order to test the acoustic properties of the building, cried in a loud voice, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In one of the galleries, a workman, who knew nothing of what was being done, heard the words, and they became for him like a message from heaven to his soul. He was smitten with conviction on account of sin, put down his tools, went home, and there, after a season of spiritual struggling, found peace and life by beholding the Lamb of God. Years after, he told this story to one who visited him on his deathbed. Boy, talk about a voice from heaven. And yet, really, that's not the kind of voice we want to hear, one that's telling us to repent. Wouldn't we rather hear something that said, Oh, yes, be selfish. (laughs) Do whatever you want to do, no matter how it makes other people feel. You know, on the surface level, this, this sounds good. A a voice that agrees with me, not one that challenges me to change. And yet, challenged we are. Peter had to deal with this. A change to his set ideas. Diane set the stage well in chapter 10. There's another aspect to it. You should go back and read the whole chapter 10 of Acts. And as Peter responds now to the the invitation of Cornelius to hear more about this Jewish rabbi named Jesus, it it really made Peter uncomfortable, I think. Because all all his life he had known it was wrong to eat with people who were not Jewish. 
It was wrong to do a lot of things with people who were not Jewish. And yet, here comes this Roman soldier inviting him. And so he starts out with this recognition that, no, God does not show partiality. And that's a big change for a man like Peter to make. He discovered that all people are acceptable to God. And this, I guess, would have been as big a deal in his day as it was for the people of Calvary several decades ago when they were making that decision about open baptism. God spoke in a new way, a broader way. And Peter responded by repenting. And by claiming God's new work and then taking a stand for it in front of the other disciples, in front of all the other people who had believed like he had believed for all their decades. A new voice. Well, God uses many voices to speak to us. It might be the leader of a children's sermon who puts the gospel in a way that connects with your spirit. It might be the voice of a coworker who is having difficulties in his or her life, and that might inspire you to recognize how good things are for you. It might be a devotional email from a church in California, or a DJ on a radio station, or an ancient passage of scripture. You know, there's not just one voice from heaven. The voice from heaven uses many speakers. In his cleverly titled book, Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time, Marcus Borg describes his early days of faith and confusion. He writes that sometime in elementary school, my first theological conundrum occurred. I remember being puzzled about how to put together two different things I had heard about God. That God was everywhere present and that God was up in heaven. Without realizing it, he found that he was wrestling with the relationship between the omnipresence and the transcendence of God. Well, he searched for years his Lutheran church and went through college and then surprised himself by going to seminary, continuing his search for God and Jesus. And he continues to be a professor out on the West Coast. Um, Borg says that his wife says about him, he's been looking for Jesus his whole life. And I think he meant that tongue-in-cheek, and yet I thought, well, aren't we all? Or shouldn't we all be wrestling with the myriad and varied voices of God? Shouldn't we all be examining those voices critically to see how they fit in with our experiences and with the other voices that we've heard? And yet, at the same time, allowing plenty of space for mystery. And shouldn't we be seeking also to bring Jesus down from heaven? Bring down his words and his ways and bring forward the Bible so that we can make a difference in our little corner of the world. 
as our church progresses, I hope that we can be more like a locker room. A locker room is where the team gathers to study the playbook, where team members learn from each other's successes and failures, where the coaches encourage the players and temper them and hone their skills to be used not so much in the locker room, not so much here, but out on the field, out with the other players, out with the other teams, out with the people in the stands. The baptism of Jesus was the beginning of his ministry. And most of you here have been baptized into his ministry as well. So as we celebrate his baptism today, Jesus' baptism, I hope that you can remember your own as John did for us. I hope that you can remember, if not your own, then stories that you might have heard from your family about when you were baptized. Remember and re-experience the cleansing and the resurrection. And of course, if you haven't been baptized, we have our own humility tank. And you have an open invitation. We would be delighted to introduce you. This day, as every day, can be a new beginning. A new beginning to your ministry and my ministry for the sake of Christ. With thanksgiving, then, let's pray. Lord God, you give us chance after chance after chance for those times that we bypass what you set before us. Lord God, we ask your forgiveness. We thank you, too, for cleansing us, for washing us so that we might be clean and prepared to face whatever other challenges will arise. We entrust ourselves to you, O God, so that we might face them with your courage and joy and peace and hope. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.